Well, today is the third week in Advent. Today we light candles and say prayers, and we move one step closer to Christmas, to the moment when we celebrate the arrival of Christ. To the moment, small and mundane, as it must have seemed to so many at the time, another baby being born to everyday folk in a barn, but a moment nonetheless when the world changed forever. Of course, these days, we don't think of that night, of that birth, of that moment, as common or mundane. Now we have the gift of hindsight, of being able to look back and say, oh, that was the moment. That was the miracle. But other than a handful of scraggly shepherds and some astronomers eventually and a very brave, albeit probably exhausted couple, and some farm animals, it is very likely that no one else knew that this one night in this one stable was the moment, the moment everything began again. Would you have known it, walking past the barn, out of the inn, on your way to the outhouse in the middle of the night? Would you have even glanced towards the stables at that ragamuffin scene and thought, huh, well I guess everything's different now? I know I wouldn't have. I probably would have thought something more like, would you people please leave that poor mama and her baby alone to sleep? Good grief. I don't think I would have thought, oh hey, there's God incarnate, praise me. In today's gospel reading, we see John the baptizer confronted with a similar situation. John, a prophet, someone who was used to speaking truth to power and who had spent his life proclaiming the way of the Lord, is now wondering, is this the moment, the person, the Messiah? Wondering if it was true. Could his own cousin be the anointed one? It wasn't what he expected. And so, while sitting in prison, pondering all these things, John sends some of his friends to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Even John, who obviously knows Jesus, whose whole life has revolved around paving the way for the Messiah's coming, doesn't immediately recognize Jesus for who he is. John only sees what he knows, his cousin. And so comes the question, are you the one we're waiting for, or should we keep on waiting? Judging by the Facebook chatter this week amongst preachers and clergy preparing to give today's sermon, I think we are all a little perplexed by John's question. After all, I think we would all expect John, out of everyone, the one who leapt in his mother's womb, to be able to spot the Messiah. But he doesn't. And so I guess it should come as no surprise that we, neither do we. So often, we do not recognize Christ in our midst. Why is this? Aren't we, like John, people who seek to speak truth to power, who are proclaiming the way of the Lord through our actions and words, through our good deeds and our giving and our prayer and our service and our love? Why then do we so often to see Christ? Why do we fail to see the Messiah in the stranger, in our neighbor, in our enemy, in our estranged family members, at our workplace, in all of creation? Why do we miss recognizing Christ at the gas station or the library or the revenue office? Why did John have a hard time? 
Tracy Smith, a fellow writer and preacher, wrote this on her Facebook wall this week. I'm not sure why, but John the Baptist's question, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another, feels like such a sad question. Why do you think this is? Some of the answers of people who weighed in suppose that John was tired. One friend wrote, because sometimes you feel like you have just waited too long. Another wrote, waiting is exhausting sometimes. Hope and faith are tested over time and anticipation doesn't sustain you forever. And we are all susceptible to disappointment. Others suppose that John was having a crisis of faith or that perhaps John was worried about missing the Messiah like so many before him had. I think all of those answers are correct. In fact, some of those answers might resonate strongly with you given where you are in your life right now. My answer to Tracy's question, the question of why she hears sadness in this, and John's question was this. I said, because it is always hard to let go of the picture in your head of how things are supposed to be. This is a battle I have been fighting my entire life. I am great at having a picture in my head of how things are supposed to be of how motherhood or marriage or homekeeping or holiday celebrating or vacations or the writing life or my friendships or my faith. I am great at having a picture of how that's all supposed to go. What I am not always great at is letting go of my assumptions and embracing the unexpected gifts that come to me instead. So through my own personal lens of understanding and empathy, I read this verse in Matthew, and I hear John asking, Are you sure you're the Messiah? Like, really, 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 really sure? Because you are not at all what I was expecting. As a radical, locust-eating, pelt-wearing, wilderness-wandering, social activist, anti-establishment prophet, there's a good chance that John had another sort of Messiah in mind. One that would burn down the world in righteous anger instead of lighting it up with hope and healing. A warrior who would lead a great army and overthrow the government, taking down all the corrupt and hypocritical leaders with it. A king of noble birth who would rule justly and elevate the Jews to the rightful place of power. But instead of someone with obvious power, someone with a large public following or a global platform or thousands of followers on Facebook, the anointed one turns out to be Jesus, John's cousin, a carpenter's son. And how does Jesus answer John's question? How, what evidence that he, does he give that he is the anointed one? Jesus tells John's disciples, Go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are learning that God is on their side. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourself most blessed. Of course, this was not what John was expecting, which was the point. Here, I believe we are seeing Jesus send John a message, cousin to cousin. A message that says, I know this isn't how you thought it would go, but this is how it is. I promise you this is good stuff, so shift your thinking. Reorient yourself to this news. This is truth. This is the good news. I promise. And what is that good news? It is the news that love has come to walk among us. Love in the form of God incarnate in the form of Christ. And what did God do in his human form? He loved. He healed. He went to the margins. 
to the fringes of society, and he ate there and made friends there. He brought restoration to person after person. He brought hope. And he ushered in a way of looking at the world at the world that says, The least of these is the greatest in the kingdom of God. The least the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The least are the most. A way that says the widow and orphan are worthy of loving loving care. That the most despicable government bureaucrat is worthy of love and friendship. That there is no one outside God's grace or love. But he didn't bring us this message in the ways that John may have expected. He didn't overthrow the government. He didn't change laws. He didn't use war or force. Instead, the Messiah of coming to overthrow the government, the Messiah came to overthrow our assumptions, our agendas, our warped ideas of what is fair and who deserves to be in and who deserves to be out and what God is interested in. Christmas is two weeks away, and between here and there, there is a wilderness, like the one the people had gone to to find John the Baptist and encountered Jesus instead. The state of the world, the state of our bank accounts, the state of our extended families or our health or our relationships, each of these things in certain seasons of our lives can be a form of wilderness. A wilderness filled with pain or with broken expectations or blown up assumptions, heartache, regret, and worry. The Advent Christmas season is, as I love to quote, as the character Philip in the movie Mixed Nuts so succinctly put it, a time when you look at your life through a magnifying glass, and whatever you don't have feels overwhelming. Being alone is so much lonelier at Christmas. Being sad is so much sadder at Christmas. This is the wilderness that a lot of us find ourselves in this year. So yes, over the next two weeks, many of us will step into this wilderness of sadness or loneliness or worry. And we will go there looking for healing for a new beginning. But are we looking for Christ? And if so, are we prepared to see him in whatever form he meets us? Like John, do our assumptions of when and how the Messiah Christ will come to us need to be changed? Do we too need a reorienting? Do our agendas of what we are so sure would fix us and heal us and wipe away all our fears need to be released? This Advent is Christ attempting to overthrow our assumptions of who is worthy of love and who isn't, of who is worthy of our friendship, of our time, our effort, effort, or resources. In retrospect, there is no denying that a little baby born in a barn to people both extremely brave and extremely ordinary did in fact change the world, but he didn't do it in the ways anyone expected. So it is now during this Advent season that we, ordinary people that we are, are given the chance to be filled with courage and to suspend all expectations and assumptions. We are being offered the opportunity to look for the Messiah in all the surprising ways that he comes to walk among us, in our enemies, in our neighbors, in the hungry and in the full, in our fractured families and in our celebrations. It is here at Advent that we have the opportunity to see in the most common and mundane parts of our lives, in grocery stores and parking lots and cubicles and barns, the one who continues to change everything. If only we will let go of the picture in our heads of how it should be and embrace who he is. Amen.